Hello, welcome to Embrace the Grain Photography Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Sherry. This podcast is for all photographers interested in film, digital, and the gear that goes with the craft of photography. It doesn't matter what camera you're shooting, but be warned, we focus heavily on analog. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to episode 64 of Embrace the Grain Photography Podcast. It's also the very first episode of season three. Yay! But with that, three years has been a long time. And I think this is going to be our last season. Yeah, I'm I'm afraid so. Yeah. It's just I'm I'm running out of things to say and yeah, and it's and it's also that I I just think that people are tired of hearing our voices. Yeah, it they could it could be yeah I I agree. So uh, it's uh, maybe time to do a maybe once every quarter podcast. Yeah, maybe once every six months. Yeah, that's yeah. a nice schedule. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work. So I don't know. I think this is going to be our last season. So we'll we will continue on until the harvest break, and that will be the end of the show. The last hurrah. Yeah. Anyway, so let's continue on with episode sixty-four. Tonight we have a guest, Seth Scott. Seth is a world traveler. He has documented many faraway places such as Pakistan, Afghanistan, North Korea, and many others. Um, I'm sure I missed a few judging from your Instagram feed. Seth, how are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing good. Just uh, relaxing, enjoying the evening. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks Thanks for joining us. So, uh, Seth, I was just going to ask you uh, to tell us a little bit about some of the places you've visited. And did you find it difficult traveling with both film and digital cameras, especially in the hotter areas? Um, I've been traveling quite a bit through the Middle East. It's probably one of my favorite parts of the world. Um, I've been to like Saudi Arabia, Iraq. Somalia, Kuwait, uh, all throughout the region there. And I've always brought film and digital. I've never actually ran into a problem really relating with heat on my uh, my film cameras or anything involving that. But um, carrying both of them can be challenging sometimes. I Because uh, you kind of have to decide what you want to photograph with. Because... <laughs> Some days I'll just go out strictly with my uh, with my film camera, and some days I'll go out strictly with my digital. Usually I'll have a backpack with one or the other, and then I'll change depending on lighting conditions. Okay. Right. So, um, like, 
do you find uh, like when I went to Mexico and you go out of your motel room did you have to let your camera uh, acclimate to the heat um depending where I am and where I'm staying like when I was in the Sudan um, my rooms don't have any air conditioning or anything like that so usually I'm at the current temperature with um, with the area I'm in most of the time Usually I don't stay in any fancy hotels with air conditioning or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have to worry about the condensation coming back inside. Yeah. No, not not really too much. Uh, it all depends where I am. And usually by the time For I get sure. to the area I want to shoot, it's um, my cam, my gear is all acclimatized already. No problems in that aspect. Well, fair enough. Okay. Yeah, so did you find... Um, any like um, problems with your film in the heat like they they always tell you don't leave it in the heat don't leave it in the heat but what was your take on that uh, everybody says not to leave your film in any heat source or anything like that like a lot of the time it's 40 degrees there um, and my my camera gear gets x-rayed you know no matter what when you're in a conflict zone your stuff gets x-rayed and they don't care if it's going to ruin your film. <laughs> so no. um, I personally haven't really had any damage on any of my film. My last trip through Afghanistan, I had to bring, it was cold there while I was there, but I had to get my gear x-rayed and I even brought 3200, uh, T-Max P3200 and uh, Lomo and Portra 800. And none of those had any effects of any signs of like x-ray and no, none of my roles previously have had, any bad uh, reactions to heat or humidity or um, or uh, x-ray damage, except I did spill some Hank moisturizer on a roll <laughs> film once, and that got, that got into my roll. Whoops. Uh. <laughs> so that was your experimental film soup, right? Yeah, that's the <laughs> experimental film soup. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Jake? uh yeah i guess uh i've got to ask uh if you could travel anywhere in the world to uh to go photograph regardless of budget uh where would you go um you know one of my favorite places i think i've ever photographed would be north korea mm. um if i'm talking about places i haven't been to i think bhutan would definitely be at the top of my list with all the the mountains the monasteries the monks it looks really incredible um, but sure. North, North Korea, for example, is just every photograph you take is kind of interesting because it's an insight into such a unknown place. So I really love photographing there and showing people the true kind of life behind, you know, this mysterious nation. What is the, uh, the process like to, uh, cause I'm assuming you have to get like a, uh, a travel visa or whatever to, to be able to visit North Korea. Uh, yeah, so I had to uh, sign up for an organized tour, which is the only way to actually legally enter um, mm. North Korea. Um, there's a few other countries around the world, like Bhutan actually has that as well. Um, but okay. it's just basically to keep monitoring people, keep you in place. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, because North Korea is one of those places that, like, I wouldn't personally want to travel alone there without a guide because there's so many little 
things with culture that you don't understand and you could really offend somebody because it's it's such an unknown place you know you need to bow to certain certain statues signs you can be disrespectful without even knowing it there so it's a place you have to tread quite carefully and a tour guide is quite essential for a place like that in my opinion Mm, yeah makes sense yeah uh when i was young we took a um i guess it would be a mediterranean trip through our school and that was some of the things that when we visited turkey they gave us like a big long list of things like do this don't do this and don't go here and you know because it was their culture and here's us dumb kids running around over there yeah you need to be very careful especially in islamic countries and stuff like that depending how uh kind of what's the word i'm looking for um liberal they are it's some very conservative nations for sure yeah yeah and it Uh, was it was just that their culture was different and it was very interesting to go and see but you know you it's so different from here you would just go and do something and not really realize that you're being quite offensive without even meaning to yeah and that's something uh it's it's easy to do everywhere around the world and yeah you you just kind of (laughs) you hope people check you and you don't do it too much or you you talk to locals do your research beforehand yeah it was I was really happy, you know, that we did have a tour guide because he had done a lot of work, like, because there was girls and boys in our group. And the places he took us, he gave us, like, coverings for the girls' heads, like, you cannot enter without this. And then before we would go in, he said, you have to take your shoes off. And, okay, well, we might not have known that stuff. Yeah, most mosques, uh, women need to cover their head to enter and take your shoes off before entering. It's, yeah, those cultural things that, uh, yeah, you never know exactly, unless you really do your research or have somebody with you, what you could be doing. Right, right. So, um, let's talk about film processing. So, you are in British Columbia. You're not not that far away from me. So are you a um, DIY guy or do you use a lab? Uh, So originally when I first got into film, you know, and I was shooting those roles and I'd cherish them and wait for the lab to look back uh, to send me the photos back. I actually had a role I shot in northern Vietnam along the China border and the lab mistook it. It was a roll of Fomapan 200. And they mistook it for color film and attempted to develop it and uh. destroyed a whole role. So after oh. that happened, I became my own DIY developer. Because I was like, if they can mess up my role, I'll mess up my roles. I'll right. figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they gave me a role, Tri-X 400, and said, sorry. That, like, it can't replace images from, you know, no. northern Vietnam. No, well, definitely not. Yeah, that's, that's probably, heartbreaking. Probably not an easy place to get back to. Yeah, it was a little bit heart-wrenching. And I took some portraits that I was super excited. Like, that's kind of my favorite thing is portraiture. 
travel kind of portraits and yeah who knows what those images look like i'll never find out no no <laughs> so uh you're uh, a, so you do your own basically um i had to learn to do the same because there are no labs out here um do you have a lab that maybe you would kind of recommend or no um honestly there's not much where i live um there's a place in prison called Prism in Victoria, and they're usually quite good, but they are the ones who messed up that role. But I kind of have to thank right. them for giving me the drive to develop my own and everything. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to find a good developing laboratory. They're dying, especially I'm in a smaller town, Vancouver Island, so. I I do most of mine and my friends now. You have no idea what smaller town is, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, there is, uh, yeah, nothing out here. Yeah, I, I grew up in uh, Saskatchewan. I, like, uh, grew up uh, outside of a town called Chamberlain for a bit. It's where I finished high school. And <laughs> yeah, there's, like you know, 20 population or something like that. <laughs> okay. Now you have an idea what small town is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. Uh, now I, I grew up in a small town and I consider it a small town, but it's like 8,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Main streets, two blocks long. And that's, that's, that's including the, with the school. So, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, so, uh, so Seth, uh, do you shoot mainly color or black and white for your film photography? Um, I say I shoot about 50-50. I 50/50, really love, yeah. I love black and white photography. Uh, I also love color about, I, I'd say about even. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I'm trying to actually think in my head if I prefer one or the other, but without color and black and white i'd be i'd probably be better i wouldn't know what to pick if i had to shoot one for the rest of my life for example yeah, yeah. i mean why choose yeah got all the options right now and kodak and fujifilm are still making a bit of film so you know hopefully they keep it up for the color stuff yeah noticed... hopefully they don't discontinue all of it oh yeah <laughs> i know notice in in uh, i I have to admit, I admit this. I went and creeped through your Instagram feed, both of them, and I noticed you take about 50/50 portraits and and landscapes. Which is your preference? Um, I prefer portraits. I'm not the biggest fan of landscape photography, but if you notice in my landscape photography, there's people in them, and I really love the humanizing aspect of my photography. And I like there to be people always kind of involved in them in some aspect. Uh, I don't know right. why, but I just, I love having people in my photos. It's just uh, almost probably all my, almost all my photos, I'd say 90% of them <laughs> that I post are um, mostly with people. Right. Yeah. You just like that human element. Yeah, and I think it's something people think we're all so different around the world and having, seeing a human, you know, in their element is something special. 
and like another, you know, another human on this planet that's just going about their daily life. I, I think that's a special thing to see, to kind of give you a perspective. Yeah, it tells a story. Yeah. We're really not all that much uh, different in the big picture. No, everybody wants to, you know, we all kind of want the same things in life, no matter where we are. Exactly. We all want to be happy, raise a family, security, food. We all take the basic same necessities. We're all the same species, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So uh, when you're you're kind of in the process of planning to go to, say, Afghanistan, how do you go about planning for, like, how much film you're going to bring, for example? Um, usually I'll judge kind of how long my trip's going to be. Uh, sometimes my trips are open-ended where I don't know exactly. I just buy kind of a ticket there. And then like my trip to Afghanistan was very dependent on, um, on if I was going to go to Africa afterwards. So I brought a lot of extra film because my girlfriend, she's, uh, Ken, her family lives in Kenya. So she's an international student that lives here. So after I was going to Afghanistan and Pakistan, I was going to go to Africa, potentially, depending the COVID situation. Uh, COVID got worse, so I didn't bring any, uh, didn't end up going to Africa, but I had lots of extra film. Um, I like to shoot, you know, I kind of plan for like four rolls a week, maybe five rolls a week. If I'm lucky, if, if I'm lucky to have that, usually I'll try to bring at least 30 rolls on a trip, though, 20 to 30 rolls of film. Right. I was going to ask you, like, when you decide that you wanted to visit, like, say, Vietnam, for example, what what is exactly do you need to plan a trip like that? Um, It all depends where I'm traveling. Like, for example, Vietnam. I uh, how did I end up in Vietnam last time? My my dad was in Southeast Asia and I was going to fly and meet him in Bangkok. And he ended up catching malaria and was in the hospital for like two weeks. So I was like, okay, um, I'll just go to Vietnam. And I went to Vietnam while well, he was, he was fine in the hospital. Like everything was okay, but he was just getting fluids and stuff and didn't need me there. So I went to Vietnam into the mountains for a bit. And that's also the country where I kind of broke my traveling. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's where I started. Right. I, right. I booked a flight from Canada there uh, about five years ago and that's kind of where i got hooked it's <laughs> it's it's really not that much thought it's kind of a lot of the time i just wing it uh but countries like afghanistan i have to kind of find uh you know fixers and tour operators that can get me through safely okay so how do you find find a tour operator um as, as silly as it seems just google like uh, you know a lot of my research just starts from tourism in afghanistan or you know, visiting Afghanistan as a tourist, I'll Google that and I can find travel articles and uh, you can find people recommendations and tour companies and uh, reviews and stuff. And I found uh, a company, Let's Be Friends Afghanistan, and um, everything went really great. I got picked up at the airport in Kabul and uh, we were able to travel throughout the the country safely uh, with not really too many you know, big safety concerns. We were, we were detained by police for about two hours, almost missed a flight, but that was the worst thing that happened. And right. 
if that's the worst thing that happens in Afghanistan, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> I was going to ask you, do you, have there been times where you have felt unsafe traveling? Um, you know, I've had scary situations, probably like I had an incident in Ethiopia with the rebels at nighttime, like uh, they take control of the roads at night and I had our car was chased by rebels at one point, but most of the time, uh, you know, I've, I've been lucky and uh, I've traveled to some of these terrible conflict zones, like Afghanistan, for example, that terrible stuff happens every day, but I haven't been, you know, there when the things happen. Uh, a bomb did go off in the bazaar I was at two weeks after I left and killed around 20 people. So that was a bit of a humbling experience for sure. Right. Scary. Yeah. That is scary. Yeah, and it went, I I was in the bazaar taking portraits, and it was kind of, you know, I don't know how to word it. It kind of, like, tugged at my heartstrings when I got back, and I was developing the images of these people in the bazaar, and and, uh, I saw photos, and it looked like the car bomb went off literally outside this man's store, so... Uh. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's it's part of being around that part of the world, but, yeah. I was also curious, you know, you you mentioned portraits, and you take uh, pictures of people that live in these far-off car- countries. Is there, do you, like, do you get their, like, email address so you can send them copies, or or is it just for your own... For my own gain. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so whenever I can, like a lot of people, like smartphones are around the world. Yes. So when I'm shooting digital, and it all depends where I am, um, I get to uh, get people's WhatsApp information, and I'll send them, like if I'm shooting digital, I'll send them lots of the photos. And People really get excited when you take a really nice photo of them, and they, you know, get to see it. Um Right. I'd say it all depends. Sometimes people just stop me in the street and ask me to take the photo because I always have my camera around my neck. So there's a lot of different situations that I end up taking somebody's photograph. Um, maybe I'll spend a day with them. Maybe I'll spend a night at their home. You know, there's a lot of things that lead up to to some of the images that I've taken. Um, sometimes, you know, I can't even speak people's language. And it's just an interaction that I end up taking their photo and I'll show them to it on the phone and they won't have any access to Wi-Fi or a cellular device or anything like that. Right. Mm. Uh, I did travel with a mini photo printer for a while, but it broke and didn't work. I got to give out a few photos I took of people, but it didn't work very well. Oh, that's run. too bad. You would think... Yeah. You would think with those little Instax printers and those types of things that they would be more travel friendly for something like that. Yeah, and that's, uh, yeah, it's, I'm pretty hard on my equipment and I guess, you know, maybe that, uh, (laughs) that broke it. I think it was a little mini Instax printer, something like that. Right. And I thought about bringing the Instax mini cameras and stuff, but it's just honestly a bit much to carry on Instax, a film camera, and a digital camera, and stuff like that on everyday outings. Right, right, exactly. Okay. So uh, so when you're 
packing gear to uh, to go travel the world with? Uh, do you kind of keep it bare bones, or do you like bring multiple lenses for one system, for example, or do you keep things light? Um, I try to keep things light, but I also like to have flexibility. So I usually bring about three lenses uh, for maybe three to four lenses. So my main go-to for my film travel setup, I have a Nikon FM3A that I mm. use my my Voigtlander 5814 on is like my everyday carry lens. And that's a beautiful combo. But I also use my 75 to 150 Series E which is a 3.5 uh, fixed aperture lens and it weighs almost nothing. And it gives me a really great um, focal range to have in my pocket almost all the time. Cause I, I do love taking portraits at, you know, kind of those telephotos and 3.5 is honestly enough depth of field and separation with that, especially when you're reaching the higher focal length. Um, yeah. That's uh, reasonably fast for a telephoto. Yeah, and especially a lot of the places I'm at, you know, I can shoot 100 ISO films. I take, you know, whatever I can, I like to shoot low ISO films and stuff. Um, for my digital setup, I on my last trip, I had two lenses. I had a, a Tamron 28-75 2.8 fixed and my 35mm 1.8 Samyang lens. And that's what I had for my uh, Sony set system. And I carry a Nikon adapter as well. So I can use my 58 1.4 if I ever want to on my my Sony cameras. Yeah, that's the great thing about mirrorless is uh, the ability to adapt pretty much any lens. Yeah, like on my trip through the Sudan, I mostly for portraiture, I used uh, my Voigtlander 58 adapted onto my Sony. That was before I had my 24 to 728 or equivalency. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, Voigtlander lens is a beautiful piece of glass. Yeah, and I got mine when it was pretty much brand new, so it's nice to see all like the war marks are mine. You know, it's uh, it's kind of uh, cool. <laughs> right. Yeah, you put your own mark on it. Yeah, and it's still optically perfect. Just the exterior is a bit. Uh, you saw my FM3A. I'm sure you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, all that stuff is made to be used, so. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's better than letting it, uh, you know, stay pristine but uh, collect dust. Yeah, I like to use my stuff. I love I love getting out there and shooting. Right. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Mine is definitely not pristine. <laughs> yeah, all I care about most times is as long as it works. It can look however it wants, but if it works. And that's <laughs> that's the goal. Right, right. For sure. So I guess um, this is probably a good uh, spot to take a little bit of a break. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Jake? No, I'm good with the break. All right, cool. we will be right back. Hey everyone, I just wanted to remind you that we still have our Ko-Fi account open. 100% of all donations received go to the show. We keep nothing for ourselves. Why? Because we enjoy doing the show. 
and I hope it brings some enjoyment to others around the world. So if you do donate, what do you get? Well, for one, you get to participate in a way. You get to choose a topic for the show and have it discussed on air. Plus, you also have the option of receiving a really cool Embrace the Grain Photography Podcast sticker in the mail. Perfect for your film fridge or the top of your scanner even. AO-FI.com slash Embrace the Grain Podcast. Welcome back. So um, let's just continue on. I think uh, Jake has a question for Seth. So let's go with that. Okay. So Seth, uh, what is the uh, film stock you've been shooting the most lately? Uh, for black and white, I have a bulk roll of HP5 right now that I've been going through and that for sure because the bulk roll aspect of it I've been shooting that more than any other film stock yeah fair trying to get rid of it yeah and I, I like HP5 it's a nice classic grain you know it's just a it's a great overall film yeah I uh I've kind of been warming up to uh to HP5 on 35 millimeter I've always been a big fan of it in uh, 120 but I don't know whether it was the developer I was using at the time, but I really wasn't a fan of the green. And a couple months ago, I uh, shot a couple rolls and developed it in HC 110. And uh, I really like my results. It's uh, it's very similar to Tri-X. It's, uh, it's got a good range of tones, decently contrasty. It's good stuff. Yeah, I, I use uh, HC110 as my main developer, too. It's just a, a great base developer. I use that for all my black and white, pretty to an extent, unless it's a specialty film or anything like that. So I have to ask you, then, are you using the old Serpy kind or using the new, uh, more uh, runny stuff? Uh, I personally have the, the, old, the new runny stuff. Um, okay. It's all I've had. I've had two bottles of it now, and it changes color and looks like garbage, but it always works. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. There's even particles inside of it near the end, and I'm always worried, but it never has failed me once. So, <laughs> can't complain. I've still got the old runnies or the old thick stuff, and I separated it into little two ounce bottles. And when I, when I get to the end of each two ounce bottle. I start to get this little purple look in there. Oh, yeah. It gets a little funky looking, but the pictures still come out fine, so... I don't know. Yeah, if it <laughs> works, it works. One of these uh, days, I'm going to get burnt, I think. Oh, I think it's pretty bulletproof for the most part. I'm uh, I'm down to the last little bit of my HC-110. It's the new, uh, the new formula. And it has definitely darkened a couple shades, but uh, I uh, I used it just the other day, and it, it works fine still. Yeah, and uh, speaking of like film, if we're um, my most my go-to for black and white would definitely be T Max four hundred. T Max, okay. Four hundred, yeah. 
And uh, that's speaking with the HC110 with other Kodak developers. It actually has the same development time between 400 and 800 ISO. So I treat it a lot like a, um, like a, a color negative film. So I'll shoot it at, I could, you know, changing my light conditioning conditions, depending how it's going like when I'm traveling. If I go indoors, I can just uh, set my camera to 800 and I can shoot half the roll four or eight. And there's no adverse effects besides some, uh, a little bit more contrast and stuff like that, which I honestly really enjoy in my photos. Oh. Yeah. I, uh, I honestly didn't know that about T max. That's pretty cool. I have done that with Kodak gold 200. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I'll do that with all most of my color negatives. I'll shoot between, you know, if it's really bright, I'll shoot, you know, my 400 to 200 depending on stuff like that. But the only color negative film I found that works really, or the, the black and white film, sorry, that I found that really works well with that is really the T max. And if you know any other ones that are like that for black and white, I would love to, <laughs> to know that as well. So we put out a challenge on the group, and one guy was saying um, the challenge is to shoot the Ilford XP2, is it super? It's the C41 black and white. And he said he's developed his in black and white chemistry. And he's also said that you can shoot it at 200, 400, or 800, all on the same roll, and they will work. Hmm. I've only ever shot one roll of XP2, and that was when I first got a film camera and actually took that roll to Uzbekistan. I shot uh, a few images on, uh, I think it was a Pentax super program that I had there at the very beginning of my film, kind of, uh, what's it, you know, my start of my film photography, and uh, I honestly have not okay. tried it again, so I'd like to try it sometime for sure. Well, yeah. we'll have to add you to the group and you can join in. Yeah, for sure. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Now, I've only shot a couple rolls of it myself and they were both expired and I thought the results were kind of meh. But, uh, yeah, I've got four fresh rolls coming now, so I'll give it yeah. a good go. To be honest, uh, me as well. My results, from what I recall, was just meh, so I've never actually reached out for it again i've seen it on the shelves but never never been inclined to grab it i've yeah, shot it and, in uh, um the roliflex and i've shot it in the stylus epic and they were both okay and i shot the stylus epic at like golden hour like grandkid was playing on the playground running around and you know summer in seven eight o'clock at night and the pictures turned out good Right. Did you uh, develop it in C41 uh, when you shot it? I did. Right. And then when I scanned it, I had to get rid of all the sepia out of it. So, but that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, here's a question for everybody that, uh, what did you shoot this week? I know Jake was out shooting. Um, yeah, go me, ahead, Seth. Okay, let's see. I pulled out a few cameras this week. I was shooting my Nikon FM3 with the 51.8, 58, or sorry, 
um, Voigtlander on it. Uh, show the role of Astrum 200. And it's okay. cool, actually. The Astrum film comes in reloadable canisters. So I like shooting it for that because I get reloadable canisters. And mm. it comes pre-cut for the Barnack Leicas, the film leader. So it's cool that I can use Ooh. that to just stick it right into a Barnack and don't have to cut the film leader. Huh. Um, that's that's really cool. Yeah, it's uh, and it's super cheap. I think it's like six bucks a roll for black and white. Uh, they have like 100, 200, maybe a 400 if I can recall properly. And uh, the results are fine. I just stand develop in it actually. Uh, for an hour. Okay. Yeah, the results are pretty sharp. Your uh, your stand developing in HC one ten. Yeah, HC one ten. Uh, what did I do? I can't remember what dilution. I went off. Um, it was the only way HC one ten could develop. Um, I just went off massive depth chart, and it was the okay. only one I had for HC one ten in uh, Astrum two hundred. So I just uh, stand developed one hour, and the results were perfectly fine. I don't do stand developing often, but uh, right. that was one of the times. And I took out my Kawa 6 to the beach yesterday, a big uh, 6x6, a medium format, and shot a roll of Burger 400. Okay. And I was out shooting my Leica M5 today, too, with some Kodak Gold, because you can never go wrong with the gold. That, yeah, that's no. right. Great stuff. Uh, okay, and Jake, what were you up to? Yeah, so uh, today I went out with three cameras. I first of all, I uh, I shot my February frugal roll. I'm a little bit late, I realize, but uh, better late than never. And uh, I I shot a roll of uh, Kodak Tri-X in uh, in a Holga. And I also brought along a, a Nikon F2 and my uh, FM3A, and I shot a roll of T-Max 400 in the uh, FM3 and a roll of Triax in the F2. That was, nice. uh, yeah, uh, both Nikons with the uh, the 51-2 lens. What do you think of your 1-2 lens? So far, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I've uh, I've only seen two rolls so far, but yeah, it's uh, it's a really nice piece of glass. It's not super sharp, wide open, but people online definitely make it seem a lot worse than it actually is in reality. Right, right. Yeah, I like the 1.2 lens. Uh... Like you said, and it's it's a sexy piece of glass. Something about looking at that lens on like the like a like on an FM body, FM two, FM three, or an FE series. It's just it looks nice. And uh, my results too is it it's soft, wide open at one point two, but the minute you stop it down, anything, mm. you know, it's it's plenty sharp. And even at one two, it's pleasant. It's a pleasant lens to use and really enjoyable. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, like starting at F2, it's it's already really sharp. Right, right. It looks pretty good on my F2. Yeah. <laughs> no, my nice black F2 that you like, Jake. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, 
I, I did have a Chrome F2 and I I loved it, but I, I had to sell it for a black one. <laughs> Everything's better in black. Yep, that is very true. I've got a black M5, my black FM3, and uh, I actually have a silver FE2 that I'm going to sell soon. But uh, that's the only silver yeah. cam I have. And it's because I got it for, was it like 40 bucks and got a CLA? And then I sold my black FE2 because <laughs> that one had a fresh, the silver one was a fresh service on it, so I kept it. Yeah, fair. I don't care what color they are as long as they work well. <laughs> it's just I bought that one sight unseen because it came with a lot of screens and other accessories. And, and it also, goodies. I bought it from a reputable cam- camera shop. <laughs> they didn't have the pictures up, so I just bought it. Nice. And I know they take it back if it didn't work, so. Yeah, the F2 cameras. I've actually never shot an F2. I've shot, I had an F, I had an F3, F4, but that's the only cam, like, one of the only ones beside F5, F6 that I've never shot. And I've heard they're really, really nice to use. It's a nice camera. I don't like the metering system on it because it's hard to read. And it's yeah. not just because I have old eyes, which I have that too, but it's it's just that it's really, really dim. And even though they have the accessory with the battery in it to light it up, even when it's lit up, it's still a really, really dim. Kind of like the F3. I've never had an F3, so oh. I can't. Yeah, yeah as much as uh, I, I, hate, <laughs> I, I hate roasting one of the most infamous cameras <laughs> in history. But I do, I, I do not like the F3 that much in use. Like, holding it and, like, handling it, though, it's an amazing piece of machinery. But for some reason, the metering system, I can never see in aperture priority what my shutter speed is easily. And I find the light button annoying to push in. And I'm not sure. I could never get into it, really. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm a big fan of the F3 personally. But, yeah, the... Uh, the tiny little LCD that's in the viewfinder that's uh, displaying your shutter speed. Yeah, they uh, they definitely could have gone about that in a better way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the center weighted metering eighty twenty is phenomenal in the F three, but mm. uh, you know, like the FE series and the FM three, for example, I think is my favorite meter that I've ever used. Um, I do like the FM two meter when it comes down to like. Uh, working in low light as it lights up. I found right. that one pleasant, but in bright daylight right. too, I found FM2 could be a bit, um, a little bit annoying sometimes, but nothing compared to the F3, in my opinion. I have an F, an F2, an F5, and an F6. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> a so bit I jealous skipped of the a couple. F6. <laughs> I found a really good deal and I had to wait a really long time to get that and sell my F100. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, but mm. don't look back when that's you. And you know, it was a good thing when I bought it. It really eliminated um, most of my gas. Yeah, and F- I imagine, imagine F6 will do that. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of the F100, I actually just got one. For my girlfriend for her birthday. She loves that camera. It's an excellent camera. Yeah, probably one of the best autofocus Nikons ever made, I think. Mm -hmm. Besides the F6, really, and the F5, maybe. 
Yeah, I, I had an F100 before my F5, and in some ways the F100 is a better camera. I mean, the, the F5 is definitely built better. It doesn't have that uh, that plastic door hinge that's uh, that's prone to failure like it is with the F100. Yeah. But the, uh, the F100 is a lot closer to the digitals. It's got the, uh, the LEDs on the focus indicator, which is really nice because on the uh, f5 it uh, it shows your focus points but it doesn't like light up in the viewfinder to tell you which focus point you're on and and that's one thing i genuinely love about using my girlfriend's f100 you know i steal it quite frequently not going to lie because <laughs> <laughs> it's the only autofocus camera now in the house ever since i sold my f4 right yeah, no, yeah. it's a, it's a fantastic camera. I don't know yeah. if you're. I think if I'm going to use much autofocus, I'll stick to the El Cheapo Canon EOS system. Honestly, as much as I'm not a Canon guy, the Canon EOS film system just seems, for the price point, unbeatable. Exactly. Especially with the, the like, I, I like Nikon, but those lens options that they have that work flawlessly and a majority of people shoot digital Canon if I don't know from my experience anyway. So it seems like a pretty seamless transition to film for the Canon shooters out there that are digital it, only. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, today sure. I was, uh, went for a walk. It was nice. Uh, took my big old dog. She's this hundred pound great Pyrenees, big ball of fluff and attached her basically to the hand that was holding the camera and went out and had a walk and a shot a roll of film <laughs> so it's like okay sit snoopy sit don't move <laughs> <laughs> hopefully with sunny you can get those shutter speeds good i don't know how well i do with the dog on my own <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't super sunny but it was bright enough that yeah it should be okay <laughs> that's good but otherwise all week uh, I didn't get a chance to shoot much else uh, I got a few shots off on the Canon T70 that I bought for the Frugal Film Project Okay. I haven't finished the test roll in it so and I what better... is the Frugal Film Project if you don't mind me asking so the Frugal Film Project is you have to have a $50 or less camera. That's $50 US. Camera and lens. Any, anything you need to shoot. And you have to pick six rolls of black and white, all the same film, and six rolls of color, all the same film, and shoot for a year. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and you can change your cameras around. Okay. If you want. So, but. 12 rolls of film, six and Color six black and white and uh, some cheapo cameras. Yep. yep. And see what you get. That sounds like a good time. Sounds like a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, not all that expensive. No. Yeah, exactly. I, I do. I do miss the days when I was, you know, like, oh, a hundred dollars is a lot for my film camera. I'm investing a hundred dollars into film. Those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a hundred dollars definitely gets you a lot less in 2021. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. No. So finding a $50, even in US dollars with the exchange rate, finding a camera for under that is getting tougher every year. So we've been doing this for three years. This is our third year. Okay. Yeah, I think it's it's yeah. hard to all, even recommend a camera for that price to anybody. Like all my recommendations now are going into the $300 range. It seems back in the day, there were $100 options. And now yeah. like, like an FE2 was what I would recommend before because they were cheap. But now the FE2s have skyrocketed, it seems. And now I recommend the FE because it's, you know, if you can find one for a good price, they're incredible. But That's exactly what I'm using for frugal. I found one for 25 bucks that was going in a dumpster. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and it had the Series E lens on it. I'm not sold on the lens. I don't know oh, if yeah. I like the lens. The 51.8 Series E? Yeah. Oh, I I took that I took that lens on my F3 to Vietnam, and I got some really nice portraits with that and some nice photos. Now, maybe oh. it's the manual focus wearing mitts. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it'll be better during the summer. We'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not a very big lens, so I'm sure it's not great to use with uh, with gloves or mittens. Yeah, and that's also why I, I used it almost as a lens cap, because the lens weighs nothing. Right. And yeah. you always just have a lens on. So uh, it was great when I was riding my motorbike or anything, and you can just literally just stop and pull it up, and it doesn't weigh anything hanging down from your neck. Right, right. For sure. Well, it's usually in my purse somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I pack, it, I pack it around with me, along with the kids' toys and... I have my my grandkids five days of the week, so there's a lot yeah. of stuff you wouldn't expect in there. <laughs> Film, camera, diapers, toys. <laughs> All oh, sorts of goodies. I forgot my wallet. <laughs> Everything but the wallet. Yeah, yeah. So, huh. uh, Seth, you also shoot digital. Do you want to have a chat about your digital gear? Uh, sure. I shoot, uh, right now an R a seven R two. Um, so older camera, but, uh, I don't need super fast autofocus and it has the same sensor as the a seven R three. So I've been looking at upgrading to the R three, but it's, you know, with COVID and stuff going on, it's not an easy time to find a couple thousand dollars laying around. Mm -hmm. Um, Fair. so I've, I've been shooting the a seven R two, with the 28 to 75 2.8 Tamron lens, which is a great budget option for the Sony system. And, uh, you know, it's nice and sharp. It does have pretty heavy vignetting in the corners, but uh, if you put the lens profile on in Lightroom, it, you know, it helps. It, you can get a little bit trace of noise because it is like two stops of vignetting in some, you know, like in the corners at some points. But it was a great lens, and I actually, my girlfriend bought it from me because she's gotten into photography now, and I'm shooting a G Master. I, I found a G Master for a good price of 24 to 70. That's my main um, my main digital camera setup now is the A7R2 with the 24 to 70 G Master. Okay. I'm not a Sony shooter, so I don't, that's all above me. <laughs> Oh, that's, Sorry. um, it's basically the 24 to 7, the factory 24 to 70 2.8 lens. Right, for, right. For, um, for 
for Sony, and I got a really good deal on it and was super excited because I was looking at getting a Sigma uh, lens for my Sony, but I found this uh, Sony lens for my Sony almost at the same price point, if not like, I think it was $150 more than a Sigma, so I couldn't resist. Right, right. Okay. And um, so do you... For your film scanning, do you use your uh, digital camera for that too? Yes, I have an old enlarger that I removed the uh, enlarger head and put a mount for my R2. So I do 42 megapixel raw scans um, on all my film on medium format and 35 millimeter. Okay. And then I use Negative Lab Pro to convert them all. Well, 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 I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> My Lightroom's too old. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but anyway, I, it's a standing joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> when you're doing that, though, I'm curious, are you using a dedicated macro lens or just your normal lens? <clears throat> Uh, I'm using a dedicated Nikon macro lens, so I have a uh, an AI fifty. The fifty five. Uh, fifty five three point five. Okay. With the uh, M two macro adapter on it, so it goes one to one. Okay. And that setup, you know, I don't need f two point eight, so the three point five is fine. I've heard at f eight or f eleven, they pretty much render the same images, and I've been happy with the results. Um, pretty much every film image you see was taken on my R2, on my Instagram that is, is taken with the R2 and uh, that 55 3.5. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's the uh, the exact ones that I use to uh, digitize my negatives as well. Yeah, it just works and I don't have any complaints. <laughs> it's, I, I yeah. know in time I'm going to have to upgrade to that, but I'm going to wait till the pack on dies. Oh, you've got a pack on? Well, I do. Well, yeah, you're lucky. <laughs> I, I'm, I can't afford that. <laughs> I've had it for a while, so <laughs> it's not the fancy one, but it, and I've had it for a few years, so I'll just wait for it to die, and then then we'll worry about it. Or you could sell it for like a million dollars before it does break. Yeah, and then just buy a nice new Sony and adapt a. <laughs> adapt a lens onto it like <laughs> like we do you, Jake do you shoot Sony as well uh, I don't know if I would say that I shoot Sony or not but I do have a Sony A7 uh, the first one okay is that what you yeah. use for scanning as well or? it is yeah I uh, yeah I wouldn't call myself a Sony shooter because I don't really take it out to like photograph with that often it it more or less just like is a dedicated scanning rig for me but yeah i mean uh it it's been working really well for me i'm really happy with the uh the results yeah you can't go like the original sony a7 image quality is great and my actually i sold mine to my girlfriend so i steal that sometimes i still scan with that every so often (laughs) if if she she steals my R2 and I'm stuck at home with just that, then yeah, <laughs> then I just use that. It's the same lens mount and stuff, so it all works for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, I yeah. think the Mark One came out in like 20, 2013, maybe twenty fourteen. So it's it's a it's a fairly old camera now, but it's uh it's full frame, twenty four megapixels. I mean, what more do you need? Yeah, it works. It works great. And if you just uh, if somebody's looking to get into digital photography, I would highly recommend the original Sony A seven because it gives you the mirrorless. A great lens mount, the, the best budget full frame mirrorless lenses out there, as well as mm. you have the vintage lens accessibility, which is awesome to have. So yeah, the vintage lenses you now I'm not familiar with it, but they all require an adapter, correct? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the. I know there's Sony cameras out there that will take the old um, Minolta Alpha lenses. Is that a different? Uh, yeah, they. I believe around 2012 or 2013, they switched to the smaller F, FE mount, and they totally disregarded the uh, the Minolta mount because okay. uh, the mirrorless camera system has a different flange, different distance, or something, you know, Makes like sense. that. Uh, so yeah. they, can, they can use smaller lenses on them and stuff like that. Okay. But did did they keep a lineup that still worked with the, that mount or no? Um, uh, I don't do you know? think so. I know they make an adapter, and I think they just released a new one that actually works. The Sony, It's called Sony A-mount. And I think they released a new adapter so you can use some of the A-mount lenses. Because okay. some of the lenses that were released on that system, I believe, are pretty incredible, but I've never used any of them. But I've heard there's some great lenses out there for that system. Okay. I haven't used any of it either, no. Have you uh, used any of the uh, the Carl Zeiss uh, Sony glass, Seth? Uh, no, I haven't, actually. I've, uh, no. I've used basically the Tamron 20 to 75 um, my Samyang 35.18. I had a 35 2.8 Samyang and my g master and besides that uh i have it's so expensive i haven't been able to dive into any of it really yeah that's fair i uh i don't have an autofocus lens for my sony i uh i just use adapters i have an icon f adapter uh like m adapter i've also got an ltm to uh to m adapter so i could use ltm uh, glass on the sony and I've got an M42 adapter as well, but I guess I only have one lens for that now, the uh, the Helios. But yeah, I'm I'm just doing manual focus with my Sony. And I was like that for the first uh, probably like eight months of owning Sony too. And yeah, like you can get by with manual focus lenses. It's a lot of fun and enjoyable shooting experience for sure. Yeah, for sure, and especially with the uh, the electronic viewfinder, it's uh, it's very easy to focus. I find, and if you do have issue, you can always uh, turn on focus peaking. Yeah, I've got my focus zoom and peaking on all the time whenever I have manual focus on. So I click yeah, a button same. on the back of my um, view on the back of my camera, and I can zoom in and see and make sure my images are tack sharp, and that doesn't fail me much unless I'm shooting action. But um, yeah. I don't shoot too much action or moving subjects. 
No, and that uh, that focus uh, magnifying is super handy for scanning as well. Yeah, that's what I use all the time too to make sure I can focus on the grain when you double zoom in and focus yeah. on that grain, and it works perfectly. Yep, that's it's, the way you got to do it. It's a little bit hard sometimes when I'm shooting film that's really sharp though, because it's like, oh, is that you can't really see the grain too well. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely much easier to focus on like a like an HP5 than it is like a T-Max 100. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it helps to be able to see that grain. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess we had uh, a few comments on our Facebook group. So I guess we should um, maybe get to them. Sounds yeah. Good. Okay, so the question was, or the comment, share your best or worst travel experience. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Um. Uh, my best, my best one would probably be hitchhiking across Sudan. Um, I met some incredible people. Um, the hospitality is incredible. The Sudanese people are so kind. And honestly, I was a bit terrified going there. And I ended up being so comfortable. I just hitched rides on the back of pickup trucks and semis the whole, across the whole country. <laughs> I've never felt safer. Um, oh, that's interesting. Uh, um, actually, leaving Sudan is probably my scariest incident, which was... Uh, it's it's a bit of a story, so I don't know if you have if we have time for that. <laughs> but um, I basically went to the border with Ethiopia, and I didn't know that there was a kidnapping a few days prior. And uh, some Sudanese farmers were kidnapped by the Ethiopians, and it led to protests at the border. Uh oh. And uh, I got to the border, and there was some UN tanks over the side, and a crashed helicopter, and then about a hundred. 50 tribal Sudanese people with spears at one side of the Ethiopian border, the bridge. Um, and the border guards didn't want to let me cross, but I finally let they, they let me cross. And uh, then uh, a big semi truck drove in front of the bridge and closed it down and shut the whole bridge off. They just dropped a, like a shipping container right in front of the road. So it completely oh. closed the bridge down. And wow. uh, I, I was on the Ethiopian side, and a bunch of uh, soldiers ran over, and I was scared I was going to witness some shooting. Oh, no. But um, it went okay, but then I was stranded in a town, ended up some guy trying to drop me off at a brothel, and then I had to escape. <laughs> I, I'm trying to get out of this town, and I had to buy a private taxi, and then the rebels were controlling the road, so the military made me stay in the small town for the night, and... It just turned into chaos, and finally I made it to a nice town the next morning. But, um, you know, our car was chased by people with guns, and, um, yeah, that that's kind of the roundabout of what happened <laughs> in my trip into Ethiopia. <laughs> yeah, sounds like um, things get a little hairy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was stressful, and I was exhausted, but, you know, I made it out, and I didn't get hurt. 
I was just, uh, I got a SIM card as soon as I could and was messaging my friends and family. Like, I am in this district in Ethiopia if something <laughs> goes wrong. <laughs> Letting yeah, everybody know people... where I was. Yeah, <laughs> good call. I <laughs> <laughs> used all my, used all my de- data live streaming my location. But uh, yeah, I made it out. And, That's uh, amazing. You know, I've been, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is the main thing. Um, yeah, and. And in Afghanistan, I was detained for a couple hours by the police uh, and questioned our group, but everything was good with that. But yeah, that uh, student or Ethiopia took the cake for the scariest uh, traveling incident with transport and rebels and stuff, for sure. Right. right. Jake, have you had any scary uh, travel no. stories? Uh, nothing that I can think of, honestly. I've been really fortunate. Everything's, uh, yeah, gone to plan. I, I did lose luggage one time, but I mean, you know, I, I wasn't get, I wasn't getting uh, held up at gunpoint or anything. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, Air Canada sold the seat that I was sitting in twice, and my suitcase came home on a separate plane. But those are pretty minor. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, on my last trip to Afghanistan, my luggage was gone for 12 days of my trip. Oh, no. L- luckily, I had some shawar kameez, traditional clothing made. So, And to keep low-key, I dress as a local, so I didn't have to wear much clothes. But definitely right. got still a bit stinky a few days in. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's tough traveling without luggage. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is when we got home, so we just had to sit there and wait for them to find it, and then it was, it'll be here in three hours, or we'll send it to you. I thought, uh, I'll wait the three hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, Nobody it's wants to fun. make the round trip or wait for them to send it to you and try and find where we live out on the farm, and it would just be a hassle. Yeah, yeah, my sure. my bags always go missing. I've never had luck with that <sighs> at all. That's the it's first awful. time, first time ever in all of the travels I've ever made that my bag didn't come on the same plane. So yeah, maybe I've just been lucky. In Thailand, I got lost. In Iraq, my bag was lost. Like, it's uh, yeah, I I need to just start carrying on my bag. I think because I'm. <laughs> anyway so we have a few comments from the facebook group Uh, sam warner says he went to the italian alps in 2015 it was amazing i've i've never been to the italian alps or the french alps i've seen photos and it looks incredible i would love to go someday yeah agreed i i haven't been to europe at all but uh yeah the Italian Alps would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, okay, I've got Nancy Urquhart Bueller. Sorry, Nancy, I probably butcher your name all the time. Best is Paris, 1999, with a friend. Shot about 24 rolls of film. One outstanding photo. Returned in 2008 and had another great trip with sister and daughter. Worst, Spain, 1997. Awful hotel. Awful food. 
but one day spent in Barcelona was great. That trip I used the Sunny 16 rule exclusively and had very few bad photos. Hmm. That's always nice. I don't use Sunny 16 too often. But No. Uh, <laughs> I use I it all practice. the time. All the time I use it. That's that's why I like using the old Barnax sometimes. You kind of you just kind of get used to it. It it's fun practice. I've got lots of old mechanical sure. cameras that the meters don't work in them or I don't trust. So it's Sunny 16 or sometimes it's Sunny 11 or <laughs> yeah. yeah, I uh, I tend to carry a, a handheld meter with me when I'm uh, when I'm shooting most of the time. But I guess the last time I probably really would have done uh, Sunny 16 like for an extended period of time was probably t- like 2017. I went to Cuba with uh, my Leica M3, and obviously no meter in that camera, and I didn't bring a meter with me. So, I also use Sunny 16, and like Nancy, I had very few bad photos. It's amazing how much flexibility, like color negative film, for example, you can get. I always just try to overexpose, and I don't have too many failures when I do Sunny 16. But Yeah, negative film is, is very forgiving. I definitely would probably wouldn't recommend doing that with uh, with slide film because you have a lot less uh, wiggle room with that. No, yeah. But, yeah, it is surprising what you can get away with. Wendy Gunderson yeah. whoops, said, okay, go oh. ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I never shoot slide film, really, and I, it's just so expensive, and you don't have that flexibility. Yeah, I'm not big into slide either. I have, like probably 15 exposed rolls in my freezer that I I've kind of been waiting until I get 20 so I can buy a kit and develop myself but uh yeah it is expensive I mean especially in Canada it's like 18 bucks I think for a roll of uh ectochrome 135 millimeter yeah it's wild yeah but uh I guess a lot of people are into it, which is which is good. What's well, beautiful when it's shot nice? Yeah, and you know I've never even seen, uh, except for like old Kodachrome uh, slides, I've never really seen like like fresh slides. So I I've never seen that that vivid color that you get with it. But uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to when I finally. Uh, Get some E6 chemicals. Right. right. So, anyway, uh, Wendy Gunderson says, On a flight back from the Bahamas, I upgraded to first class as a gift to my husband for Father's Day. As we took off, I thought I heard a thud. And I'm a nervous flyer. And wrote it off as a shift in the luggage. I didn't say anything because our kids were with us and I didn't want anyone to worry. As we were about to descend for into Chicago, the captain made an announcement. The sound I heard at the beginning of the flight was the landing gear, and they were concerned the landing gear would not operate when we landed. He assured us that it was not a very likely a problem, 
but we shouldn't be surprised at the long row of emergency vehicles parked along <laughs> the runway, just in case. I've never seen so many emergency vehicles with their lights on in my life. We landed without a problem, but I do remember thinking, well, if we die, at least we were in first class. <laughs> <laughs> That's a scary one. I've never had a, any plane like while flying technical issue. I no. landed in the wrong country once because of because of uh, fog, but that was that was the worst I've had with like not being able to land. <laughs> yeah, I've never really had an issue before. I've had a couple like really bumpy landings, but nothing serious. I yeah, one... I ended up in. Oh, go ahead, Sherry. Oh, I had one where I thought they were gonna divert us to the next airport, but the. Uh, pilot took us down anyway, and I thought, uh, am I going to die? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know the airport he was going into, and it's got a very short runway, and when it gets windy, it gets really windy, and the plane's a bounce, and we're going, and I could mm. see the sand blowing down below us, and I'm going, oh. <laughs> but, yeah, that... that... That that reminds me of another rough uh, rough landing that I had. I think it was going into Washington D.C. That was probably like 2012, I think. But uh, it was a pretty stiff uh, stiff wind, and just as we were landing, like you could feel the plane like moving sideways. Yeah, Not a good was, feeling. And then it just dropped like 20 or 30 feet for no reason. It's like oh. <gasps> Yeah, it, yeah, just just like being on a roller coaster. Exactly, but faster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> much, much faster. Yeah, like the worst. Uh, like I was delayed like three hours, and then there was fog covering our airline, and I I found this flight for I think it was like ten dollars from Denmark to Bosnia, and then <laughs> they're like the airport's bad, so we're landing in Serbia, and we're gonna stick everybody on an eight-hour bus to Bosnia. So Fun. that that was my uh, worst landing experience in the wrong country. That was the uh, eight-hour bus ride to Bosnia. <laughs> uh, it was from midnight to was it like five in the morning, six in the morning, or whatever it was, eight in the morning. And um, they they gave us water. They're like, here you go, have some water. That was uh, the worst uh, seven-dollar air flight I've ever had. <laughs> well, yeah, at least you got, you got water <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was whiz air <laughs> whiz air yeah yeah they win yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and our last comment is from jim austin best racing uphill with my wide angle lens during a rainstorm over the fairy pools on the isle of sky to catch a rainbow behind a Jock Russell who wondered, wondered when his master was going to put down the camera and continued the hike to get warm and dry. <laughs> and then he's got a picture there of the little pup. It's kind of cute. <laughs> oh, Looks like a beautiful I've, spot. Yeah. yeah and I've wet. Been there where, You've like, been there. Somebody with you, though, and you're... No, I haven't been to where he is, but, like... You're like, I want to get this photo, and there's, you know, <laughs> like, usually, you know, I don't have a dog, so it's usually my girlfriend staring at me, like, can we go? And I'm like, oh, 
I just want to wait for the sheep to jump the fence. And the sheep <laughs> never jumps the fence, and it's been 20 minutes. And <laughs> it's, it's like today. Yeah, time sit, to go. Sit, Snoopy, yeah. sit. Wait, well, I will do this. Just sit still. Don't wiggle the camera. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, one other time my husband and I went out and did some storm chasing and we were getting close to this big black cloud and the wind's whipping and it's starting to rain and I unroll the window and stand up on the passenger seat and I'm hanging out the window taking pictures and he's yelling get back in here <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> we find out later that big black cloud had a tornado in it <laughs> He's like, yeah. okay. <laughs> Welcome to Alberta. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Crazy. Get back in here. Why? It looks good. And the pictures were good. <laughs> then it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not like I'm going to fall out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Hope not. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, so that probably about covers up all the comments out of Facebook and we've had an excellent chat tonight thanks for coming on Seth I think it's probably getting time to wrap up yeah I gotta go make dinner thanks for having me guys <laughs> poor Jake it's bedtime for him <laughs> yeah at least I have tomorrow off so it's not yeah. so bad there you go yeah but, so so uh, I guess we should do our socials. You bet. Sounds good. Yeah, go ahead, Seth. Uh, socials, like the information for our online? Your, <laughs> yeah. your social media, yeah, like your Instagram. Oh, oh for sure. So uh, I have two accounts on Instagram. One's my film only. It's uh, at World in Film. Uh, just how it sounds, World in Film. And then my uh, my main account, where you see all my travel footage and all that is uh seth c scotty so that's uh my first name seth my middle initials in c and my last name scott with a y at the end that's where you'll find all my images at for uh, most of my travels and digital and film in there okay do you have uh any websites or anything like that to include uh, i don't have any websites right now i'm working on creating a website actually awesome all righty okay. and jake yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Jake Rose Photo, or you can find me in the Embrace the Green Film Photography Podcast Facebook group. And you can find me at Rule Root One Film, and one is O N E. Or you can find me at the Frugal Film Project 21 Facebook group. And I guess that is all for this week. Everybody, awesome. st everybody stay positive and embrace the green. <laughs> Bye for now. And I won't say see you next week like I have been because it's every two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so see you in a couple weeks. Bye. See you later. We'll see you guys. Bye-bye. Well, if you made it this far. April Fool's. Have a great one. Bye.
the V, the V, and that's all, folks.